once again, and welcome to episode 53 of Be Boomer Unleashed, New Year's resolutions, and what to look for in the coming year. I'd like to be the first to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Hope that you had time with your family to create some memories that will last a lifetime and Probably those memories that shouldn't last a lifetime. Maybe you'll just forget about those. But anyway, hope you had a joyous Christmas. You celebrated the holiday with your families, and you did have a chance to remember that Jesus, indeed, was the reason for the season. Well, before we get into today's episode, as always, I'd like to tell you where you can find our podcast. You can always find us at beboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed. You can find us on iHeartRadio at B.Boomer Unleashed. You can find our link on Facebook, Spotify, Tumblr, and Instagram at Be Boomer Unleashed. You can find our link on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleashed 1. And as always, we encourage you to drop us an email at Be Boomer Unleashed at gmail.com. Once again, that's Be Boomer Unleashed at gmail.com. Drop us a note, drop us a line, and let us know what you think of our show and what we can do to make it better and some of the topics that you would like to hear about. If you'd like to be a guest on the Be Boomer Unleashed uh, podcast, we'd certainly love to have you do that as well. Well, this episode, episode 53, New Year's Resolutions, and the coming year, you know, this is the time of the year when people start thinking about making those pesky New Year's resolutions. What is a resolution? Well, a resolution, if we would define it, is a firm decision to do or not to do something. We had resolutions when I was a kid back in baby boomer days. Uh, people were encouraged to make New Year's resolutions. It was also important that on New Year's Day you ate some cabbage so that uh, you could have some money all year long. If you didn't eat cabbage on New Year's, then um, the legend was that you wouldn't have any money that year. And I remember Mom, uh, she would cook She'd wrap uh, quarters and nickels and dimes up in the cabbage, and uh, she would wrap those up in uh, aluminum foil and cook those in with the cabbage, and I guess that was supposed to make us have money all year long. So people do funny things around New Year's. They make resolutions. They resolve. They make a firm decision to do or not to do something, and they um, eat cabbage. So I guess that uh, that's uh, one of the things that people do on New Year's Eve. A lot of people like to stay up till midnight. Folks in New York City like to watch the ball drop there at midnight. And they uh, sing in the New Year, sing out the old, should all acquaintance be forgot. And they sing that and other songs. And a lot of people use it as an excuse to drink too much uh, alcohol. Um, you know, I haven't had anything stronger than Diet Pepsi since about 1972, but there are people who drink, and New Year's is a good excuse for people to imbibe in uh, alcoholic uh, beverage, and uh, they do that a lot. And you can usually count on some drunk drivers being out on New Year's Eve or New Year's early morning hours of New Year's. And if you're out and about, now you're going someplace to a New Year's Eve party this year. We certainly encourage you to be careful on the way home so that you don't tangle with one of those New Year's Eve 
drivers that have had way too much to drink. Let's talk a little bit about the history of New Year's resolutions. Uh, I did a little research on this. Uh, A lady by the name of Sarah Pruitt a few years ago wrote an article, and it's out there published on the Internet. It went along with a lot of the stuff that I uncovered as well going along. And she she writes an article, and I'm going to share some excerpts from uh, Ms. Pruitt's article about the custom of making New Year's resolutions. And uh, she says, and others like her say, that that custom has been around for thousands of years. But it hasn't always looked the way it does today. They kind of credit the ancient Babylonians to be the first people to make New Year's resolutions some 4,000 years ago. They were also the first to hold recorded celebrations in honor of the New Year. Now, New Year to them is about the time of the year what we would consider maybe around March. It didn't begin January 1st like we do now, but maybe about mid-March when the crops were planted. And they had a big uh, 12-day religious festival uh, during that time, and they crowned the new king during that period or reaffirmed loyalty to the current king. And they did that as they ushered in the new year. They also made promises to the gods, little g, to the gods to pay their debts, return any objects they had borrowed, anything like that. And these promises could be considered the forerunners of our current New Year's resolutions. If the Babylonians kept their words uh, to their pagan gods, they would bestow favor on them in, in the coming year. And if not, they'd fall out of the gods' favor, which was a place that no one wanted to be. They were very superstitious people and and worshipped many, many false gods. A similar practice occurred back in ancient Rome. Julius Caesar, for example, tinkered with the calendar and established January 1st as the beginning of the new year around 46 B.C. And uh, January was named for Janus, the two-faced god whose spirit inhabited doorways and arches. And January had a special significance for the Romans, believing that Janus symbolically looked backwards into the previous year instead of into the future. So the Romans offered sacrifices to this false deity and made promises of good conduct for their early year. Well, the Christians made some New Year's resolutions too. The early Christians, for them, the first day of the New Year became the traditional occasion for thinking about past mistakes and how we're going to be better in the future. Around about 1740, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, created the Covenant Renewal Service, and that was most commonly held on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. A lot of people now call them watch night services, and some churches still meet on New Year's Eve, and they have what they call a watch night service. They watch the New Year come in, and it's popular among a lot of evangelical Protestant churches. These are held on New Year's Eve, and that time is often spent special prayer requests, making resolutions for the coming years, that kind of thing. Well, despite the tradition's religious roots, either pagan religions or Christian religions, New Year's resolutions today, as we all know, are a mostly secular practice. Instead of making promises to the gods, if you will, or to God Almighty, most people make resolutions to themselves. 
we make resolutions ourselves. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to spend more time with the family. You know, I'm going to get a better job. Whatever it might be, these are the resolutions that folks make today, and usually they pertain to themselves. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to do more exercise. I'm going to run. Whatever it is, they make these resolutions to themselves that they're going to carry this out in an effective way. Now, like we said, while people make these resolutions, and all of us at one time or another have made a New Year's resolution. If you haven't made a New Year's resolution, you're unusual because most people at one time or another in their life have made a New Year's resolution, and most of us have failed at those. According to recent research, while as many as 45% of Americans say they make New Year's resolutions, only 8% are successful in achieving those goals. (laughs) But that dismal record probably won't stop us from making resolutions anytime soon. After all, we've had about 4,000 years to practice that, haven't we? So that's kind of like the history of New Year's resolutions. Now, what about the Christian and New Year's resolutions? What, what does the Bible have to say about New Year's resolutions? Is it scriptural to make New Year's resolutions? Well, if you'd like to dig out your Bible and turn to James chapter 4, the book of James, chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. As I've said many times before, that's my favorite translation. And uh, some of you read out of different translations, and we're not going to fall out over that, but I just like the King James. That's my favorite for many, many reasons. But if we go to chapter 4 of James, and about verse 13, it starts in on a, a little discourse here. And in verse 13, we read, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Verse 14 goes on to say, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So, What he's saying here, what the writer of James is saying here in verse 13, he says, hey, listen, you folks that are making these predictions about yourself, saying what you're going to do today or tomorrow, you know, we're going to go into this city. We're going to continue there. We're going to stay there for about a year. We're going to buy and sell, and we're going to make a lot of money. We're going to do that. But he goes on in verse 14 and says... But you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What you don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow. So what's your life? It's 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 a vapor. Uh, he says it appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, have you ever seen a teapot boil and watched the little vapor come out of the tea spout? It comes up. It's a little vapor of steam and then it disappears. It's gone. And he says that's what our life is like. It's here in the whole scope of things, just like a vapor appears for a minute and then vanishes away. And he goes on to say what you ought to say instead of that is, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, if it's God's will that we do this or that, we will do it. He goes on to say, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing 
he says, is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's a, it's a sin. So he says, if we're going to do something, if and, and it's okay to have plans. You know, I always say you ought to plan like you're going to live to be 100, but you live like you're going to die today. Plan like you're going to live to be 100, but live like you might die today. And there's nothing wrong with making plans, nothing wrong with having goals. What he's saying is don't brag about what you're going to do because you might not be around tomorrow to do it. You know, we never know when we're going to draw that last breath and go off of the stage of this life and enter into the afterlife. But he says, you know, instead of saying that, instead of saying, well, if it's the Lord's will, if it's God's will, we're going to do this, you rejoice in your boastings. And he says, if you boast about stuff like that, and you, you know, you really rejoice in that, that's kind of evil. <laughs> Reminds me of a story. A young man was walking out the hollow one day in West Virginia. We call those hollers. And uh, he's walking along, and an old man's sitting out on the front porch of a cabin. He's walking by, and he says, where are you going there, Sonny? He says, well, old man, I'm going to buy me a horse. The old man says, well, you mean if it's God's will, you're going to buy you a horse? And the fellow says, oh, no, old-timer. He says, God's will has nothing to do with it. I've already picked out the horse. We've made a deal. I've got the money right here in my pocket. I'm going to buy a horse. The old man says, again, well, son, you know, really, if it's God's will, you're going to buy a horse. He said, like say, old man, God's will has nothing to do with it. So the young man disappeared out of sight around the bend in the road. And in about 20 or 30 minutes later, here comes the young man walking back past the house. And he's got blood all over him. He's beat up. His clothes are half ripped off of him. And the old man said, well, what in the world happened, son? And he says, well, I got around the corner here. A band of robbers jumped out of the woods and they beat me up and they took all my money. And the old man said, well, what are you going to do now? And the young man says, well, I'm going home, God willing. So, you know, sometimes we have to have those lessons. We make these big plans and we think that we're going to do something big and grandiose, but we don't consult God about it. And if you're a child of God, every decision you should consult God about. You don't make just big decisions without at least saying, well, you know, God, if this is not your will, you know, you know, kind of close the door on this for me because, you know, we can make crazy decisions. Well, if we're not supposed to make New Year's resolutions, what are we supposed to do then? Well, like I say, it's not wrong to have goals. It's not wrong to have a goal per se. What is wrong is to boast about, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to do something else. Well, what could we do? Well, the important thing for all of us, whether we're baby boomers or whether we're millennials or whether we're 100 years old, whatever we might be, is to yield ourselves to God's control. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So if we want to be in God's will... It's pretty simple. If we want to be in God's will, if we want to follow God instead of following our own direction, 
We need to submit ourselves unto God. We need to present ourselves to him a living sacrifice and live for him instead of against him. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, when we look in the mirror, and I try not to do that very often because I'm pretty ugly. I've got a face for radio or uh, audio podcasting. I you know, really don't have a face for video podcasting. But as we look in the mirror, we ought to see Jesus looking back at us. Our life ought to exemplify the one that we follow. And hopefully most of us are following Jesus. So how do we know if we're following him? Well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says pretty simply, it says the fruit of the Spirit. All right, if we're Spirit-filled, if we have Jesus living in our heart, there are fruits of that Spirit. We don't have to judge anybody. You know, everybody always wants to say, well, don't judge, don't judge anybody. Well, you know, God said we could be fruit inspectors. We're not to judge. That's up to God. But in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So if we're in God's will, if we want to be spirit-filled Christians, then our life should exhibit some of these characteristics. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So how do you know somebody's a Christian? Well, they're going to exhibit some of these. Is that is that the litmus test? Well, that's one of them. Uh, not to say that People who don't follow Jesus might not have some of these characteristics, but everybody that follows Jesus should exhibit all, if not at least part of these characteristics in their daily life. That's how we know. Sometimes we just got to look inward and see where we are, where we stand in things. Lamentations 3.40 says, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. So we need to kind of look at our own ways sometimes, you know. Remember the little bracelets that people used to wear all the time back, um, you know, 30 years ago, the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Well, if we lived our lives really by that, what would Jesus do? There's probably a lot of things that I wouldn't do that I do if I really thought about, would Jesus really do that? Would Jesus honk the horn at that guy because he wasn't moving fast enough? Would you get aggravated because there's only one line open and 17 registers at Walmart, but only one is open? What would Jesus do? I think Jesus would be patient. First Timothy chapter 6, and we begin verse 5, it says, Perverse disputings of men corrupt of corrupt minds and destitute the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. You know, a lot of people equate gain in financial stability or financial prosperity with being right with God. There's folks out there today preaching that prosperity gospel. All you give to God and he's going to, you know, you're going to be wearing a Rolex and driving a Mercedes and all this stuff. No, no, no. God didn't, didn't promise that. But it goes on verse six says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to be content with where we are in life. For we brought nothing into this world. 
<laughs> were any of you born with a full suit of clothes on? Were any of you born with a big bank account that you had worked for while you were in the womb and you had stocks and bonds and mutual funds and all those? Now, your parents might have given you some of those. But did we actually come into this world with anything? And it's certain, he goes on to say, that we're going to carry nothing out. You know, this billionaire had more money than anybody knew what to do with. He died. Somebody said, oh, my, I wonder how much he left behind. Well, he left all of it. He left every penny behind. You know, you can't take it with you. You're not going to take anything out of here. And if we have food and raiment, let us be content. But uh, love of money, in verse 10, says is the root of all evil. Not money. Nothing wrong with having money. But if we love it better than we love each other, better than we love God, then it's a problem. Psalm chapter 37, verses 5 and 6 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. We don't have to, you know, boast about what we're going to do. If we commit these things to the Lord, he'll make things turn out okay. James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack, lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So if we want to know, if we want to be wise about things, we need to work on our relationship with God. What are some of the promises that God has made to us? Well, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God will supply all of our needs, not all of our wants. Nobody said that. Oh, God, I'd like to have a new Corvette. Well... Unless God wants you to have that new Corvette, you're probably not going to get it. But God will provide you transportation if you need it. God will provide you food. God will provide you a roof over your head. Whatever you need, what you really need, if you're putting your trust and your faith in God, he will provide that. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God delight in the Lord. Romans 8, 28, familiar passage of Scripture to many of you. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 goes on to say, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not a selfish one. That means I shall not be lacking what I need. And of course, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, New Year's resolutions really should have no place in the Christian's life other than just maybe making a resolution for fun. There's nothing inherently wrong with making a resolution, but we don't need to put our trust in what we can do. We need to put our trust in what God will do for us. So for a Christian, when it comes time to make those New Year's resolutions... 
what we would be better off doing is committing ourselves to God. And say, God, I can do nothing without you, and I want to commit myself to you. And that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed since the Bible was written. God has not changed his mind about any of this. The same way that we came to know Jesus back in baby boomer days is the exact same way that you can come to know Jesus today. Come to him. Say, God, I'm a sinner. Jesus, help me. Save me from my sin. And you know what? He'll do it. It's just that simple. Well, what do we got to look forward to in the coming year? And we'll probably be spending a lot of time with this. As a matter of fact, I've started a blog, a written blog. I have a website up. It's called theperilousTimes.com. TheperilousTimes, all one word, dot com. TheperilousTimes.com. I've got it up in very nuts and bolt fashion right now, and I think I've got one posting on there. But I'm going to be working on that this year and developing that where you can find articles that will help us get through 2020. I'll be writing some articles. You might have something you might want to send to me to publish on this site. But the perilous times will give us information that we can use to get through 2020. Because what do we got to look forward to in 2020? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and I'll share just these few verses with you, and then we'll close for today. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Folks, we are in perilous times. And we'll be talking a lot about those as the year goes by. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away this is the time that we live in today, folks. Perilous times. Perilous times. Take a look at the website, theperilousTimes.com. Make some suggestions for me. Like I say, it's just very nuts and bolts right now. It's black and white. It's very boring to look at, but I thought I would get it up there so I could work on it. It's a work in progress, and I'll be working on that this year. Our first episode in the new year... We're going to talk about life after high school. What did we do after high school back in baby boomer days? What was that like? And what are we doing after high school today? What did we do in boomer days? And what options are available today? And there are more options than just college. Now, some people should go to college But some people have other decisions that they can make right near home. Doesn't cost you anything for this type of education. And we encourage you to listen to this series about life after high school. I think you'll maybe get some ideas of what uh, might be good for your kids, your grandkids, great-grandkids, whatever it might be. Uh, We hope that you'll tune in next week and listen to that. Well, listen, it's been great being with you. 
we've had a little bit of fun here with these New Year's resolutions and and what God really thinks about them. And hopefully we've planted some seeds there so that you might be interested in being closer to God in 2020 than you were in 2019. Hey, it's been great being with you. Have a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. And may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.